This is, this is so awkward just like looking at you while I do this. Okay. Anyways, hello, hello, hello. Today I am here with my brother. Uh, he's 30 years old. He lives in Vancouver, Canada, and he is the regional sales director for Whole. What? What was the for wealth management? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, for uh, Desjardins, yeah. Yeah, you got it right. I originally wasn't going to say the company for like, you know, privacy reasons, but then I figured, you know, all they have to do is just Google you and um, it would show up your company. Did I say your name? Uh, you usually don't, right? It's usually, hey, bro, right? Right, yeah. So his name is Pedram Gahari. Um if I didn't say it before, which definitely could have happened. Anyways, how are you, bruv? Not doing too bad. Enjoying this uh, lovely weather here in British Columbia we've been having all summer. How, how yeah. are things over with you? Well, I mean, all summer. I don't know about that. You guys had a huge heat wave. A couple of days there, I was definitely uh, sweating bullets. It was <laughs> uncomfortable for a couple of days. Yeah, and mom says you're going to get another one unless you already did get that second one. I think one. it just passed. Um, past couple of days, we had almost 40-degree weather. Uh, yeah, couldn't so it, be it me. Gets hot. It gets hot here. Yeah, it's not not for me. Um, all right, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Pedge. You turned 30 this past February, and what do you think? Do you think once you turned 30... You left your 20s. Did you look back and take inventory? Like, did you think about, you know, oh, I wish I had done more of this or I wish I hadn't done so much of that? Like, did you have any of those wish moments? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, when I turned 30, I thought it was going to be a bigger deal. Like, I thought I would have this, you know, midlife type of crisis and, you know, really look back and either think about the things I could have done better or things I should have done. And yeah, none of that really happened. It was kind of like, okay, I'm 30 now and I don't feel that much older. Um, but today I kind of, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, now I'll have a kind of chance to reflect, whereas I didn't take that chance when I turned 30, but today maybe I'll have that chance to actually re reflect. Yeah. And, uh, and, and share with your listeners. Yeah, what do we think of your connection right now? Because you just cut out. Um. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping the connection stays good today. Um, it's it's shoddy at times, but yeah, you did you did cut out for a second there. Oh, so. Let's let's hope for the best. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, so you are this um, you're this big shot wholesale regional director whatever out in Vancouver but you know you had to get there somehow and you started off at Ryerson that was your university you did your undergrad there what did you first take when you entered Ryerson yeah okay so kind of um rewinding back to when I was 20 yeah I, I'd, I'd be in Ryerson at that time um actually it was an interesting journey to even to get to Ryerson kind of it the whole journey started even before that, right? It was like, um, our parents never really forced us to do anything in life. Uh, and, and the public school system kind of gives you too much choice, in my opinion. 
So like, mm-hmm. if you remember back in, in high school, right. uh, one of the big components to get into the program of your choosing was math. Right. Um, a lot of business programs, if you didn't have certain types of math, you couldn't even get an admission into these business programs. Um, at the time, I wasn't that interested in school in high school. Like I was mm-hmm. smart, but I wasn't really applying myself. Yeah. And, you know, I took data management rather than going down the calculus uh, route. And as a result, you know, I wasn't able to get into a lot of the business programs that I wanted to get into. Um, so I actually had to get into Ryerson through a different program, which was uh, information and technology management, mm. if you remember that. And uh, after my first year in IT management, I, I was able to then uh, use that as a, as a springboard to move into business management, which is ultimately where I wanted to get to. Um, and then, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I was, again, kind of same thing as in high school, I was still really focused on friends and having a good time and, you know, still wasn't really taking school that seriously. Yeah. And still getting by with decent grades. Right. But it wasn't until my third and fourth year of Ryerson where I really started to apply myself. Um, And then when I applied myself at Ryerson, I was able to do really well. You know, it was on the Dean's list uh, for my final two years. I ended up having a pretty, pretty great GPA. Um, but really, you know, it really took some, some time to kind of set my priorities straight mm-hmm. and decide if I was always going to make fun the priority or if at some point it made sense to actually buckle down and, and, and get some school done. And, and I'm glad I finally did that at the end there. Yeah. Okay. So you finally buckled down in years three and four, and then you graduate from from Ryerson with what business management I think wasn't it like global business management or something like that yeah so they had a couple different majors that you could that you could essentially get for your bachelor of commerce degree Mm -hmm. so I ended up getting a global management uh, major and I minored in finance nice Um, so I'd say global management was really broad in the sense that you learned a bunch of different things Um, so so it didn't really tie you down to a specific speciality right it just taught you broad leadership and management skills um what it was like to run a business what are some of the decisions you'd have to make there were a couple of really good simulations they did at ryerson um and definitely having that finance minor as well helped me kind of get interested in where i ended up today right okay that's good so what did you do after ryerson because i know you haven't gone for your master's yet no i mean i say yet because you know, never say never. But so what was, were you able to get into your career of choice right away after university or did you take a few different paths first? Yeah. So uh, how I ended up where I am today is completely um, a culmination of, you know, just a small amount of decisions that I made. Um, Most of the decisions I made did not get me to where I am today. It was just a very small number of decisions or actions that I took uh, that ultimately led to where I am today. So like, if you remember, even when I graduated, you know, university and got my degree, I still had no idea what I was going to do with that degree. Right. Um, You know, I, I really didn't put enough time in early on in my life to determine what type of path I wanted to be on. And I think that's kind of the point of a lot a lot about what is, you know, early on, I think it's fair to say both of us, and, and maybe we still don't to some degree, we didn't really know where we wanted to end up. 
Um, our parents didn't necessarily push us down any particular path. So we had a lot of choices and, and we never ultimately, well, at least I didn't make one. So coming out of university, I was kind of, you know, doing whatever I could to, to even get gainful employment. Like I remember um, a, a buddy of mine at the time, well, still a buddy of mine, obviously, he was, uh, he was an assistant general manager at LA Fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having a conversation with him one day, we were just with some friends and, you know, he was like, Pedram, do you think you'd want to get into to sales? Like, do you think you'd want to work at LA Fitness? And I'd always had a really negative connotation assigned to sales. I'm always like, well, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of sleazy almost like, you know, people don't like salespeople. And, you know, I don't know that I'd be good at that or I'm comfortable doing that. And he was kind of shocked that that was my answer. He was like, I don't remember his exact words, but he was basically like, well, how is it that you're not interested in something that you're so clearly good at? And I'm like, hmm, this guy thinks I'm, you know, I can a make a good sales. bag. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy thinks I could do this job. Um, and he has, I, he thinks I have some of the, you know, the skill set to, to be in sales. So I, I should give it at least a shot. Right. So I started working at LA fitness. I think that was one of my big, my first real jobs, yeah. um, making some decent money and I was good at it. Right. I, I was, I was doing sales. I was good at it. I was also into fitness at the time. So, you know, that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after a while, I remember I had kind of like, a, again, kind of like a crisis moment where I was like, you know, I went to university for, for five years, right? One in IT management, four in business management uh, to get this degree. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that this was what I kind of worked to do, right? right. Like, I don't know if this is where I was supposed to end up. So I'm like, I, I'm not that happy at this job. You know, I think there's a lot I'm still missing. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith here. I'm just going to quit my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take this money that I had at the time saved up. You know, I had maybe $10,000 at the time. I'm like, I'm just going to go to Europe um, with my buddy. I'm going to travel Europe, experience the world. Uh, and then when I run out of money, I'm going to come home. Yeah, and I I'll, remember and this. And I'll figure it out, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I did that. And, you know, that was a, that was the first real eye-opening experience in my life, like getting outside of the small bubble that I'd always, always been in, right. I'd really only gone to a few places in Ontario, like at the time. Yeah. And then like, maybe like Cuba, (laughs) we went to Cuba with our family maybe once. And, you know, there wasn't a ton of travel in my life. So doing that really opened my eyes to how big the world is. What are the endless possibilities um, that you can really go out there and achieve? And then I remember as soon as I came back, all I was doing for the first couple of weeks when I got back was searching uh, post-grad programs and like MBA programs in, in Europe, right? Like I was like, I knew I was going to go work abroad or travel abroad. And that was, that was my, that was the high from being in Europe, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but then I, I kind of settled back down into the regular Ontario routine and I was like, okay, well, let's get a job. So I started out as a, as a bank teller at, at TD Bank, I remember. Um and that was, that was good. Cause that kind of got me, you know, to learn some responsibility, you know, uh, dealing with people, handling money, um, working with others, right. Just the, the really basic skills that you should have already, um, had at that point, but it was a really good kind of entry level gig. And then while I was working at TD, I was continually looking for opportunities and learning about different industries. And I kind of stumbled across, um, 
the mutual fund industry with, with my next job at Franklin Templeton Investments. And that's kind of where it all springboarded from there. Mm. Um, so I don't know if, if you want me to keep going down this story or. <laughs> no, 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 you can. I mean, people, I mean, we do, we want to know your trajectory, your path, right? So like, this is how it was after university, you got like a job at a gym. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, you're like, this isn't for me. You took time off and you went traveling, which is I think a huge thing that you should do in your twenties in some form, you know, you should go and you should explore and you should travel. And I remember mom and I really pushing you to do this because you were kind of on the edge. You had the opportunity. Um, and we were like, yes, absolutely go take it. And you're like, Oh, like, I don't know. You know, you've always been kind of that, like, almost like arguably too responsible sometimes where it's like, oh, but like, I'm going to be blowing all this money and I'm not going to be working. I'm just going to be like um, screwing off for two months. And we're like, yes, exactly. Like you need to experience this. You haven't had the opportunity to experience this. And so we really had to convince you. And then once you did go off, we were so happy for you. You loved it. You had a great time. But I remember when you came back, I don't know if it was during the job search or what you always there was always something that like kind of also made you regret going. Like, you know what I mean? Like you felt like you wasted those two months in some way, but you were also thankful for them. Yeah. I mean, that kind of ties into almost like if I could tell myself something now, like, you know, cause I eventually in my life, I got really into finance at some point along the way. And now the way my brain thinks is almost always tied back to something financial right? That's just the way I've been wired since, you know, I don't know for how long now, but, you know, I've, I've been really fascinated with finance and, and just how to become successful and how to get ahead. Um, so yeah, so my, my main thoughts were, you know, I was also starting to be interested in the markets at that time, the, the stock market. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, if I just invested that money instead, you know, how much more money would I have had, you know, uh, several years from that point, and could I had you know, maybe the ten thousand dollars I had then, I would have been maybe fifty thousand dollars. And what kind of traveling could I have done with that money, right? So it was more like, um, yeah, I was always on the fence, like you said. But at the end of the day, no regrets. You know, I had an exceptional, exceptional time with my buddy Jacob. We had a really good trip, and I learned so much about myself, you know, and so much about uh, the world, and and kind of had a lot of different experiences and experienced different cultures and had some sketch times and, <laughs> you know, like just the stuff you need to do in your twenties. I think you're Definitely. right to, to grow. And I, I don't know that even if I hadn't have gone and I invested that instead, you know, you never know if it's going to turn out the way, you know, you, you hoped it would. You don't. And that's the thing with what ifs, right. Is like you, you can't change the past. You cannot tell the future. There is no point on dwelling on what ifs because life doesn't work that way. You know, you didn't have that opportunity at that time to invest the 10K or to go traveling. That wasn't the if or and, you know what I mean? It wasn't between the two. You didn't care about investing. That wasn't your thought process at the time. So to go back and be like, oh, I should have invested that 10,000. It's impossible because you weren't thinking of investment at that time. You wouldn't have invested it anyways, right? So like rather than trying to, you know, maybe low key, trying not to regret it, but also deep down, you maybe do hold a bit of, you know, resentment towards this. Um, 
you shouldn't think like that. Just think about how, just like how great of an experience you had and how much you learned about yourself and the world and how much that probably, um, you and Jacob traveling together, you know, backpacking for two months, probably like brought you guys closer too. like, you probably really cherish that friendship traveling with somebody, um, in foreign countries. Like you really rely on the other person. So you should really think about the positives that come out of that. Sure. No, for sure. I I mean, him and I were, were close before that, but I think definitely spending that much time with somebody, you, you guys, uh, definitely take it to a bit of a different level, right? Like traveling with someone for a long time, uh, you know, you guys get to learn a lot about each other and, you know, share a lot of experiences that you guys kind of keep forever. Um, so that was definitely fun. And, and I highly recommend it realistically to, to anybody who hasn't done it yet. Um, I think you need to do it at least once. Yeah, I would agree you know? with that. Go to go to Europe, go to South America, go to Asia, go wherever, just go somewhere backpacking for X amount of time. I think it's a really fabulous experience that one should have um okay so yes franklin templeton you went from td to this investment firm and what were you doing at franklin yeah so that's eventually i want to kind of get to the to the main point where i think um you know are some some lessons i learned in my 20s but the franklin Franklin story is kind of interesting because yeah it you know i fell into this industry right was literally just searching for jobs online saw this one for Franklin Templeton. It was really entry level. Um, I didn't really know much about the mutual fund industry at the time, but um, you know, I started to take some courses. I think I was enrolled in the Canadian securities course. So I'm like, okay, well, working for a mutual fund company, you know, getting my uh, securities uh, certification, like these all seem to intertwine, right? So it seems mm-hmm. like this is a good path maybe for me to pursue. And it was that for years of salary, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's apply here. And sure enough, you know, uh, they hired me entry level at Franklin Templeton and I was, uh, I guess they called it like, um, a senior client service representative or something like that. And essentially I was just, I was taking calls, um, in the client service department, but what they did is they had a really, really, really in-depth training program, mm-hmm. right? So they, one thing that, that Franklin Temple did really well is they had a very good training. Um, so it was a very intensive, like, um, I don't even remember, maybe like a week long training where you weren't even starting on the, on the sale, on the, um, you know, on the call floor, you were starting in like a classroom setting and you were learning the basics, everything about mutual funds in the industry. Like you had a big binder and I was like, holy, like this is an entry level job, but I feel like, um, you know, I'm I'm like back in university. Yeah. So I learned like a ton of stuff, which was really great. Um, and then, yeah, I started working at Franklin Templeton as a, as a customer sales rep, you know, kind of, um, that's when I started to learn about the type of industry that I was going to ultimately work in. Right. Which is where, um, so what, what, what I do, um, what I did then is, is work with uh, financial advisors to help them with their operational, uh, questions or issues, right. If they needed to do something with a mutual fund account, they would call us and we would help them, uh, get it done or get it corrected or whatever they needed. Um, Yes. Anyway, I I did that for about a year and a half. And uh, after about a year, I started to um, move into like a development program, right, where I was thinking about moving to the next step, which would have been like a client specialist. So I'd work with a smaller group of advisors uh, that had a lot of assets with Franklin Templeton, and I would help them on more specialized problems. 
Um, so that was the kind of the stepping stone. Like Franklin Templeton was a very rigid uh, a ladder. Corporate. It was like the traditional corporate ladder where you had to go on a certain path and it took you a long time to get where you wanted to go. So I remember as I was on the client service path, I was actually other, talking to another guy on the floor, Eric Stevenson, and he was talking to me about uh, like sales, right? And eventually he went over to the sales department at Franklin Templeton as an inside sales manager. Okay. Uh, or they called him inside sales manager, but it was a uh, inside wholesaler is, is the term. Okay. Um, so he was an inside wholesaler and he was talking to his boss at the time, Patrick Giacone, about me. He's like, you know, there's this guy on the client service floor I worked with, like his name's Pedram. You know, you should, you should check him out. Like, I think he'd be good in sales. Right. So kind of just networking with Eric and then, um, you know, learning about Patrick Giacone. And then I remember I was doing a, a job shadowing for this client specialist role that I was supposed to go into next mm -hmm. down on King Street West. Uh, they had an office on King Street. That's where uh, the sales team was along with these client specialists. So I was doing um, a job shadowing just randomly one day. And I go to the washroom and I recognize the guy in the washroom with me is Patrick Giacone, who's this inside uh, sales manager. He manages all the inside wholesalers. Um, so I, I recognized him just from his picture. He didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was, but I'm like, you know what? Like this is an opportunity to talk to this guy and, and tell him I'm interested in sales. Right. Oh my I've gosh. Heard about urinal talk. I've heard about this. Tell a little us urinal more. Chat. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the bathroom. I don't know if it was at the urinal or at the, or at the hand washing station part, <laughs> but, uh, sure enough, I'm like, Hey, you're, you're Patrick Giacone, right? Like I've heard about you. You're the sales manager. He's like, yeah, who are you? And I said, you know, I, my name is Pedram. I'm, I know Eric Stevenson. He was telling me about, you know, sales. I think I'd be really good. Like, you know, would you want to give me a shot? And he says, well, do you have any time right now? I said, right now? He's like, yeah. Like, you know, if you want to come back to my office, we'll do, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll see what's, what you're all about. I said, sure. So we went to his office, had like an informal interview right there. And then, you know, over like the next 20 minutes and it went great. I'm like, okay, cool. There's an opportunity for me to transition to sales at Franklin Templeton at some point. Um, a couple months later, I kind of, you know, couple, or a couple weeks go by or something, a month goes by or whatever. And I notice uh, he's no longer at Franklin Templeton, Patrick. I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. I'm like, oh, there goes my opportunity, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, I, now I'm still in this client specialist role and, you know, there goes kind of my sales inside link, right? Um. But then, yeah, some, some time goes by and I, I get a LinkedIn message, you know, and he's like, hey, I don't know if you, you, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, I went over to Desjardins and uh, would you like a job? Oh, that's I awesome. Said, we love urinal connections. Right. So yes. uh, I'm like, like, wow. Like uh, when he left the company and I ended up being his first hire. As the new, he was the, now an inside sales manager at Desjardins. I ended up being his first hire as he built out a new inside sales team for Desjardins. Um, just from kind of having that little conversation with him, and uh, that was that was really where it all started. And then, um, you know, I, I worked at Desjardins for about eleven months uh, as an inside sales rep. We called them regional sales consultant, and I really applied myself in in that position. I was. Um, you know, one of the uh, top regional sales consultants, I think, right, obviously, because then, you know, when a job opportunity came up 11 months later, uh, for a regional sales director in British Columbia, there was a guy who left the company. Uh, 
I put up my hand, right? I applied. I was eager. Uh, I went through the interview process and sure enough, they're like, okay, we'll move you to BC to take on this new role. We believe in you. Um, and then here I am uh, almost three years later in the regional sales director role in, in British Columbia, just from uh, just really kind of falling into the, the job at Franklin Templeton, uh, doing a bit of networking, talking to a guy at the urinal, and then, um, you know, really, really in a position now at 30 where I'm, I'm fairly happy with, with where I am today. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I love that story because they say, you know, connections make the world go round. And I mean, here's just another prime example of it's all about, you know, who, you know, who you're networking with, who you connect with, um, to get these awesome opportunities that you may not have been able to get to just by, applying alone. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't actually know this Patrick guy, if you didn't have that chat, um, create that impression, if you had just blindly, let's say applied to his team, um, would he have given you the same shot as if you guys hadn't had that urinal talk, you know? Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. Right. And, um, I, I truly believe, um, it's kind of in a couple principles, but like, just something as simple as, you know, the people who are really successful in life, I would bet you they do, they apply themselves about 10% more than the average person. So like, I'll, I'll, I'll tie this back to my job. Like, you know, maybe you're given a quota for a number of meetings you're supposed to do every day or a number of phone calls you're supposed to do every day. The people that succeed, for example, in my job are those that once they meet the quota, instead of hanging up the phone and, and hanging up for the day, you know, they make those extra couple of calls, the ones where they really don't want to do it, but you make that call and you get someone on the phone who happens to change your year. Those are the people that are successful. And you can apply that to a lot of different things in life, but it's that extra 10% of effort, right? That extra 10%, like just talking to the guy in the year. I could have just laughed. I could have been like, Oh, that's the guy, but you know, we're in the washroom. Like I'll, I'll chat with him another time. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, or, Oh, like I'm, I'm content at, at TD. TD Bank, there's a there's a path for me here. I'm almost a financial service representative, but no, I completely switched jobs uh, to say, okay, let's try something new, and I think there's a better opportunity here, right? So it's taking that extra ten percent of you know effort or risk or whatever you want to call it um, that ultimately defines what you could potentially achieve. I think. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think that's a really good um, explanation. I do want to. Um, touch could you explain what you do a little bit more because even I'm not sure what exactly it is that you do like what is you know yeah. I can't even repeat your job <laughs> title because I forget it already but, <laughs> but yeah so in a nutshell uh you know I I represent uh Desjardins but but as a mutual fund company right so okay. Desjardins is a very large financial group uh we do a number of things. But one of the things that Desjardins does is, is they have a mutual fund company, right? Desjardins funds. Uh, I'm the regional sales director for more or less Desjardins funds, right? So my job is to increase uh, the usage of Desjardins products in BC through our distribution channels. So I'm responsible for a territory, right? So I cover a large geographic region in British Columbia. And I have you know, X amount of people that I can talk to about our products, you know, let's just use an, a number like 3000. So there's 3000 investment advisors, maybe in BC in my territory. And my job is to 
make them or can, um, well, to build relationships with them, to build partnerships with them uh, so that they'll use Desjardins investment solutions with their client. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I'm a wholesaler. Um, you know, it, the, the, the word wholesaler is used, uh, is given many different names, you know, regional sales director at Desjardins. It could be vice president of sales at another mutual fund company. Uh, but basically we are responsible for the sales success in our territory. So we're given a sales target, we're given a budget and it's, we have the complete autonomy basically to go and develop the sales, uh, within our region. Um, so a lot of what I will be doing is meeting with, you know, investment advisors or portfolio managers and building that relationship with them, understanding their needs, their clients' needs, and, you know, positioning Desjardins as a, as a partner um, that, that can help their investors, their clients to build wealth. Um, that's, that's more or less what, what I do. Awesome. Um, I actually didn't know that. So thank you. I think that's yeah. actually a really cool. Jo- that's a pretty cool job, actually. Now that I think about it, you know, um, I've got to say, I got yeah. really lucky with this one, Sarah, because um, you know we are we are paid to build relationships with people. I mean, if you're an outgoing, extroverted individual, um, you know, you're this is the job for you, right? Like because. Um, as long as you, you need to be an expert in the products that you're talking about. So that's why it's, you know, when everyone says, oh, well, anyone can do that then. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, you really need to know your products really, really well because, uh, they're complicated. Um, you know, these are not, uh, you know, super simple to understand products. They're, they're fairly complex. Um, and also you also need to not only know your products, but you need to know your competitors as well. Cause you need to know where you have a comparative advantage over the competitor. Um, and then you need to be, you need to be knowledgeable, uh, but you also need to be likable, right? Cause in, in business as it is now, and as it's always going to be, people do business with people that they like, right? Um, people that show a genuine interest in them. Uh, and that's like, that's like all relationships in life. You know, when, when uh, people show an interest in you, you're automatically feel like almost obliged um, sorry, obliged isn't probably the word obligated, sorry. Um, to show an interest back in them. Yeah. Right? To give them the time of day for sure. Right. So people that, you know, reach out and, and, and build that connection with you, you're going to do the same with them. So that's really what it's all about. And, um, I'll maybe save this uh, last principle to the end, but I think there's uh there's a rule in life, uh, that can help a lot of people. And definitely in my business helps a lot, which is, um, in sales, particularly, um, about 80% of your success comes from 20% of your clients. Um, so in, in sales, vast majority of your revenues, like 80% always come from about 20, your 20% of your top clients. Um, that's, that's, that's called the Pareto principle. It's not new. It's called the rule 80, 20. Um, but it applies so, so frequently in life and in kind of if I could tell the listeners anything, it would really be like, if you think about how many hours in the day you have, um, like 16 hours in a day, roughly, give or take, like, you, you know, you wake up at 7am, you go to bed at, um, you know, 11. Um, you have 16 hours in the day. So three hours a day is really that 20% I'm referring to. Whatever, however you spend your most productive three hours every day, right? Like for me, for a long time, it had been maybe an hour gym, hour studying for the CFA, 
and then probably I have one of my most productive hours at work. Um, those three hours cumulatively over time are going to determine where you are in the future. Um, that's where majority of your success will come from. So like if you're doing, if you're at least putting the hour in, in the gym every day over the course of two or three years, you're going to see that you, that you're successful, at, you know, in, in fitness, if you put in that one hour of studying every day, um, or with the CFA, it's a bit more, maybe you need to put in like uh, 20 hours a week, but when you consistently put that in, you're going to be able to pass the CFA, for example, uh, same with work. If you, if you're really productive for even a couple hours at work every day, you're going to see the success, right? It's the people that kind of have that coast. If they're on coastal mode at work, you know, it's hard, you know, it's hard to have that success. That's why if you're just really productive for like an hour or two, um, you're going to see that pay off in spades. So I think anybody trying to get ahead, it's just, just think that it's really only about 20% of your actions that lead to most of your success. So just really honing in on, on how are you using the most, you know, the 20% of your time most productively. Thank you for that information. That actually makes a lot of sense um, when it comes to productiveness um, and seeing results from the hard work that you put in. Um, what I wanted to touch on was do you, we've, we spoke about this question earlier when I was prepping you, but do you feel like there has been any internal or external influences that or expectations, I should say, that influenced your decisions throughout your 20s? Um, is there one that stands out? Is there any at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, our parents, right? Like, if, if I think about one of the big influences in our lives, when we were growing up was was our parents, obviously, like most people, um, they never really pushed us to do anything aside from, you know, they wanted us to kind of get a good education and go to university and get a degree like most people. Um, but they gave us a lot of freedom to kind of make our own decisions. And um, I don't know that we were really, you know, we had anything forced upon us in terms of um, um, like expectations, right? I think like, you know, <laughs> you hear a lot with uh, Persian parents, how they have huge expectations on their kids. Usually you've got to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, or, or you kind of didn't make it. But, uh, you know, with our parents, I don't think there was any uh, expectations. Um, but I do think that like, uh, based on one of your last podcasts, you know, people were talking about how it was it was very usual to go from high school right into university. Yeah, right? like a lot of people were doing that. So it kind of felt like the thing to do. Um, you know, in retrospect, I, I do wonder what it would have been like if I did take that victory lap. I know, um, you know, you, what you were talking about in your last podcast with the victory lap and, and, the, <laughs> and uh, the judgment around that. But, you know, again, if I really tie a lot of my where I am today back to, again, math, because I was always interested in business. I thought that was where I was going to go. But because I didn't have the right math, I didn't get into the right programs. And my life would have been really different if I took an extra year of high school, maybe got the right math credentials mm -hmm. and went to a different program. Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see how my life would have turned out, but, um, but I do agree with a lot of what you've been talking on, uh, talking about on your other podcasts about how, you know, there seems to be at least in our lives when we grew up, there was this, yeah, you go to, go to university, uh, you go to, you know, you go to high school, then you go to university, then you get a good job. 
right? And then, you know, the, the typical yeah. kind of step-by-step -step life. Yeah. Um, what was kind of interesting though, is, you know, uh, a lot of my friends actually took a completely different path. Um, you know, like, uh, shout out Jacob again, but, um, you know, he obviously had a very different, uh, path than, than what was considered normal or average, right? He, he became basically a digital nomad and, um, you know, was really, he really trailblazed for, uh, a lot of people I know, um, in terms of, you know, what does norm, what should normal look like? Well, there, there's no normal, right? There's, yeah. there's what society I think pushes on you. And then there's the life you want to make for yourself. Um, yeah. and I think one of the things I'm kind of stealing your thunder at the end, but one of the things that I really wish I kept more of when, when I was younger, like our parents did put us into a lot of creative stuff. Like I was put into art camp and I was kind of, you know, obviously we have a lot of creativity in our background with our, our grandfather. He was a painter and he was mm -hmm. an artist and things like that. And I think if I had kind of stuck with my creativity, like uh, given it more time, given it more effort, I would, you know, I really would have loved to have uh, more creativity at this point in my life. Um, like I remember even when I was younger, I was, I was drawing little cartoons. I remember I yeah. like, like screen by screen, I would have these comic book cartoons like that I would create. And, you know, I was funny and I had all this kind of, had all this different uh, vibe about me back then. Right. It was just a different set of interests. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was more into my creative side and now it's so difficult to refine it. Um, Cause I'm, I'm much more practical now than I was when I was little, where I was, I was more imaginative when I was younger. And um, so I think, I think just, you know, tying it back to you, just keep doing what you're doing, find your creative self. Um, Cause yeah, society does restrictions on you a certain way, but the people that trailblaze their own way, you know, they're the happiest. I mean, yes, exactly. And I remember, um, I probably still have your drawings of, you know, your characters that you'd make up. Um, we definitely still have them hanging around, but I mean, one could argue that this external expect or sorry, internal expectation that you put on yourself, I feel like knowing you as well that I, as I know you, you have this really big urge or drive or need to be what society calls as successful, you know, and that's in money and material goods and just looking like you're successful and having literally the tangible like money. Okay. But it, just you're saying it yourself, you lost so many of the things that you loved and because they couldn't bring you maybe that financial success that you wanted so much, you know what I mean? Like you gave up on things that actually made you happy, like, you know, comics and drawing. And these are things that you can still be passionate about today. And, you know, like what's wrong with taking an art class or, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with that. It will bring you a new hobby. will create some, you know, refound creativity and passion in your life. And I don't think it's too late to do that. I think you should definitely hone what you neglected in the past when trying to um, chase this practical side of you, I guess. Well, what's interesting about that is after, because I didn't kind of nurture it 
I lost interest. I, I don't have the same interest that I once had in it. And, uh, and that's fine too. I think create creative going forward for me will, will look different than what it did when I was younger. I don't think it'll be maybe something like art or drawing. There'll be another creative outlet that I can use um, that hopefully will tie into, um, you know, cause I, I still want to continue to become as successful as possible. That's always going to be ingrained in what I want to do. Right. Because I believe, um, as cheesy as it sounds, yeah, like money, it doesn't buy you happiness, but it does buy you freedom. I mean, that's that's pretty much as true as it gets, um, right? Just having the freedom to then pursue anything that you want to pursue and not be shackled by society's ex expectations or, or just the cost of living these days, right? It's like you really want to put yourself in a position where you can be yourself, um, if that makes sense. Like you can do the things you've always wanted to do. Um, so I still think that for me, that's the big goal as uh, just continuing to get into a position where I have that freedom. And then definitely I will continue to find ways to find the creative self of my side again. Um, right. But I also, I would think, I feel like if one were to ask, you know, these super successful, maybe rich, um, quote unquote, successful people and ask them if you know, they probably say the same thing, like, oh, it buys them freedom that they can pursue whatever they want now that they're rich. Are they actually pursuing the things that they want or are they constantly still working, just looking for getting more and more money and more and more success? Are they, have they reached the goal that they wanted when they had the idea to get rich in the first place? You know what I mean? To have that financial freedom and to do, you know, other things that may make them happy or passionate. And I don't, I mean, hey, I haven't talked to those people, but from my own assumptions, I don't know if all of them would say yes. Yeah. I think a no. lot of them would say that, no, actually, they haven't taken all of the vacations that they wanted to do. And, you know, they haven't picked up that hobby that they were looking into. But, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, sure, there are some people that, yeah, once they achieve one goal, you know, they keep pushing the goal further and further away right it's you know in a lot of cases it really is a rat race right there's just like how how high can you climb and right it depends on the circles that you're in i think you have to be very careful right i think um being happy with where you are in life is so important um you know because everybody is always going to be on a different level and you know with social media where it is today i really feel bad for the generations that are that are younger and just growing up with all this because you know it's so much now on social media about like you know what you're doing or mm -hmm. how successful you've become or, or this that and the other um so it's you know there i remember some of the times i was happiest was actually when i was being more silent in my success and, and like i was off instagram and i was just doing me um like i've always been somebody you know, for as long as I can remember, I was always somebody that was really focused on other people and mm -hmm. on my friends. And, you know, to the point where it was like, I didn't have my own individuality almost. And it wasn't really until I completely left my life in Ontario and started a completely new life in BC. And I was all alone. I came out here by myself. And it wasn't until I did that that I really and re like I really invented myself as an individual and started doing stuff just for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I 
can say I, I very rarely did that in life. Um, and it was always, you know, it was always about my friends. It was always about what are we doing this weekend? It was always, and, and that's great. I love my friends, but I think, I think it wasn't until I did this where I really grew up and I really became who I am today. Right. And, and, uh, I wouldn't change that for the world. Good. I'm glad you little shit. I mean, cause I mean, <laughs> this conversation has been going well. Cause I told you, um, when we talked before that I was maybe a bit nervous because we have conflicting views when it comes to, um, you know, your twenties and just like living life and just exploring and we are two very 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 different people and even though we get on great um we have like those similarities like we're both very argumentative and so that will manifest in us just arguing about literally nothing like arguing about air and we're fine with it we're okay with it we're having a good time we're stimulating each other by arguing arguing like that but like our parents are like stop fighting like what are you doing stop being mean to each other and we'll just look at each other we're like we're fine like what are you talking about but when it comes to I don't know like beliefs and like values we have very different um yeah. and that's okay that, right like that is okay um but like it, we get on we get on good and you know I fancy you just fine and uh um you know but we're gonna always have different views when I mean, we've always had different personalities like even when we were younger and, and definitely today you know, we, we fundamentally believe in, in carrying on our lives in different ways. And that's great. Um, we complement each other. And, uh, you know, that's something, you know, that's something that's normal, right? People are not supposed to be the same. And um, that's what diversity is all about. And I think, you know, when you and I get together and we have, and we think about different things, you know, we get those diverse perspectives and, um, right. you know, I value your perspectives because they're so different than mine. Um, so then I'll, I'll get a something, I'll get something different out of talking with you, um, yeah. which is, which is key, right? Cause you, you don't, the last thing you want is to surround yourself with only people that think exactly like you. Yeah. Um, cause then you're never considering anything outside of your natural purview and, um, you might miss out on a lot of things in life, right? Opportunities, yeah. risks, um, just anything. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. And I think that I do surround myself with people from that have various views of mine um which is which is always cool I like asking for people's opinions on various subjects um so I guess my last question for you is um knowing what you know now if you could go back um what would you tell your 20 year old self you could tell them anything yeah I mean that's tough right because there's so much I've learned over the you know this last 10 years since I was 20 and um that I could tell myself but um honestly just from a few different perspectives I guess um you know one is you know continue to find your creative self right like you know be be authentic uh find whatever makes you happy, you know, from a creative perspective, you know, have an, have an outs outlet, um, for being who you are, right. Don't, don't just, um, don't just keep it inside, be who you are, be proud of it. Um, be creative. And then also, you know, from a financial perspective, I'm a strong believer in, 
you know, if, if you are listening to this, if you are in your twenties, you know, the, the earlier you start saving and investing your money, truly the better you'll be. I know it sounds, um, like what everyone says, but it's really true because again, the reason I was talking to you about the Europe trip and the $10,000 I spent there is, you know, if you're smart with your money and you save for 10 years and you invest for 10 years, you know, if you're in your early twenties, by the time you're 30, you can do a lot, you know, like you're in a position where the world is your oyster, right? Like you can do all that traveling, right? And you can do it for a long time. You don't have to just take like three weeks of vacation at work and and travel one year, you can do it like every year, right? So you can really go and live the life you want to live. Um, and then you can also, you know, move out of move out of your home, right? And, and live on your own. And because once it's not until you live on your own, that you really discover who you are, because all the little things that, you know, maybe you don't recognize that your parents do for you, or that people around you do for you, all of a sudden, everything's on your shoulders. So you really, you really, you know, you beef up right? From a, from a mental perspective, because, uh, you know, you have so much crap being thrown at you constantly when you're living alone, like, Oh, I've got to fix my car now, or all oh, my uh, refrigerator just broke, or oh, I've got to go get groceries or these little things that you take for granted, like dad would do, or mom would do right. The little, the little things like everything is on you, right. Or the house gets dirty. you got to clean it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's the, everything's on you. And then also, um, yeah, just, uh, and then, yeah, and then a lot of people are um, are focused on, uh, you know, having as much fun as possible in their 20s. But I think also uh, just just seek um, really good people like, um, you know, like let's say you have 100 friends, really just finding, you know, like, the, again, kind of use that same principle, like t- the 20% of your friends who deserve a lot more of your time. Uh, and just invest in people. Like the more you invest in people, like, you know, you might come into a, like a job opportunity that changes your life, or uh, you might meet someone who's a forever friend or someone that you do really fun stuff with, or someone you end up loving, right? It's like, um, you know, so invest in really good people. If, if there's somebody that's, you know, not adding something to your life, like don't, don't be afraid to kind of create distance and, um, you know, f- spend more time on people or opportunities or, or things that make you happy. Um, and don't be afraid to, you know, to, if, if, if you find someone that's, that's right for you, don't be afraid to, you know, commit to that person. I think a lot of people in our age have trouble with, you know, committing to somebody. Um, but if you oh find my the right, gosh, no, you know what, this is, this is it's a true, hetero though. man. Well, not even a hetero. This is a man problem. It's true, um, wh- yeah, I don't, what is it? You know what? Maybe you I don't know. give the listeners some, some advice here. Why don't men like to commit? What's That's what I'm saying to them. If, if anybody's listening, you know, guys, once you find a good woman, you know, they're, they're worth so much, right? They do so much for you. And uh, y- you have to put whatever. Because, um, because again, I think it really ties back into my personal opinion is, is like social media has ruined people. Um, you know, it's all about, you know, since y- you see all this flashy stuff, all the time right and it's so hard to be content with what you have even if you're in front of a gold mine but you see like 10 gold mines in the distance or you think you see them it's a mirage but imagine you see 10 gold mines in the distance you might say well i'm going to go pursue those other 10 even though i've got one in front of me because the riches could be 10 times as much if i if i continue 
So it's but, great. Well, you, what, but what you don't realize is that once you get to those 10 gold mines, uh, it was, it was a facade, right? Like it was a mirage. Maybe you were delusional. Um, or like <laughs> by the time you got there, they've been already taken by a lot of other, uh, gold hunters. <laughs> <laughs> gold so, miners have mined. You, you know what, when you gold. have something good, hold on to it and, uh, don't always be chasing, right. You know, like, I think, I think that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I loved the, um, comparing women to gold mines that was probably my favorite part of the conversation for <laughs> sure um, um but yes no um thank you for bringing that up because this is a conversation i'd had with a friend recently that i find that you know i mean yeah there's a lot of um commitment phobes out there or it's like, oh, I'm not looking for anything serious. Like that line needs to be thrown into the dumpster and then thrown into Lake Ontario because. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. Some people just haven't found that, right? Like they're, they just, they say that maybe because it's not the right person, right? And that's, that is okay. If you think you have something good, you know, don't, the grass is not always greener. On the, the grass is not that's, always that's greener. That's greener where you water it. Boom. Yeah. You heard it here um, first. Boom. <laughs> Mic boom. drop. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed right. this, you know. I enjoyed yeah. this with you. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it with you too. Um, I find that we have um stimulating conversations every time we do talk. And I'm really glad that I got to have your perspective on my podcast because like you said, um, it's really important to have different points of views, um, different trajectories, everything when it comes to really analyzing um, the 20s experience that I'm trying to. So, you know, everyone's is going to look and sound different. Um, and I'm really, really thankful that you agree to come on and chat with me. Yeah, really, you know, thanks, Sarah, for doing this. I'm, I'm proud of you. And uh, honestly, okay. just, I guess, the, yeah, the last little uh, inspirational quote here. Yeah, just just put yourself out there, right? Don't be afraid yeah. to put yourself out there. The more you do it, you know, more good things will happen. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. I'm gonna, Bye. We're gonna say goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. It was fun talking. All right. Bye, bro. Yeah. Bye.